I'm Rachel, and this is Spencer. Hi, I'm Spencer. This is Neon Boots, the 90s country music podcast. Our special guest today is BJ Barham of American Aquarium. Hey, BJ. Hey, hey. Thanks for joining us today. I wouldn't have missed this for the entire world. (laughs) (laughs) This is, if there was ever anything in my wheelhouse, this is the one thing I feel comfortable enough talking about on a podcast. Yeah. Whenever Spencer and I came up with this ridiculous idea, you were in our like top five of people that we needed to have on to talk about this. It's the biggest compliment anyone could ever pay me. (laughs) When I think of shitty 90s country songs, I think of you. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, and this is a great idea. So not a ridiculous idea, but ridiculously awesome yeah, is what I've. Yeah. I've been asked so, to do podcasts before, and people have given me their kind of like breakdown of the podcast, and I thought that's a horrible idea. When you texted me, when both of y'all group texted me, said we're doing this, I was like, I will make time whenever <laughs> this is being taped to be a part of this. Yeah, I'm glad that we caught you while you were at home from your busy. Touring schedule and stuff. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> my wife doesn't let me get out of the house much these days. But uh, thanks to her for letting. You yeah, be here. but when I told her what it was for, she's like, "This is what you were born to do. <laughs> Go shine, you little diamond. Go shine." Touring uh, state athletic events and '90s country podcasts. Yeah, three yes. outs, bringing out of the house, I guess. And two of those things are absolutely <laughs> worthless to me as a human. There's one thing that makes me. There's two things that take up a huge amount of my time that will never, ever be worth anything, except for now. Today, I get to it. And it'll be worth lots of money, you know. Oh, all of the Spotify. Yeah, we're going to make so much money on this podcast. (laughs) So the the format is that we each have chosen a song that we like uh, from 90s country, and we're just going to talk about them, play some clips, uh, share some personal stories about what we think about or silly stories um and bj since you're our special guest we'll let you start why don't you tell us what song you picked out i picked uh the 1994 classic (laughs) daddy never was the cadillac kind by a band called confederate railroad um i argue with people a lot about this band uh when it comes to best bands of the 90s uh if it wasn't for such an unfortunately un-PC <laughs> name, this might be the best band that never had a number one hit. Uh, they, they, for me, as, as, as a kid, Trashy Women is the song that a lot of people remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, hell, it's in my wife's like Instagram profile is Too Much Makeup, Too Much Rouge. Uh, It's such a great tongue-in-cheek country song. Um, But this song that I picked, Daddy Never Was the Cadillac Kind, um, is why I fell in love with country music in general and 90s country music, um, to be very specific. Uh, It tells a story. It keeps the same chorus. All three verses are completely separate, but it all comes back to the one chorus that relates to the previous verse. And I think that's why country music is such a great thing is because it's this storytelling. um, The storytelling element of country music is what I've always been fascinated by. And this song is the epitome of a story. It's uh, it starts off, uh, you know, a dad kind of talking to his son about not understanding why people spend all this money on a Cadillac, which is a very fancy car. Um, I have a, a personal relationship to 
to being a, a lower than middle class Southerner and how you look at Cadillacs. Uh, my grandfather was a tobacco farmer uh, his entire life. Uh, and the and the day that he knew that he had been was successful, that he had made it, was the day that he'd go to the dealership and buy a Cadillac. And so for my grandpa, from the time he was 30 on, every four years he would buy a new Cadillac because that was his sign to himself that he had made something of himself. And uh, it was it was almost a cocky gesture of, of going out and buying this. I don't know if people can remember Cadillacs before they were so sleek and sexy like they are today. Um, before hip-hop really <laughs> embraced the Escalade, Cadillacs were pretty much like Buicks and Lincolns. They were these giant land yachts mm-hmm. like that were just it was impossible to back it out of a parking space without hitting something <laughs> and my grandfather loved Cadillacs and so this song was always a funny song for me because it reminded me of my grandfather but the first verse of this song is a guy who doesn't understand the glitz and glamour of people that waste their money on Cadillacs um, can we play uh, the beginning part of that we were poor when I was a younger. I don't remember ever going hungry, Daddy made sure we didn't do without. I went to school with some of these fellas, they had money and I was jealous. I didn't know then what I know now. Yeah, it's 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 this great like lesson of like, you know, you don't need this all the all the glitz and glamour like this like this facade. You have to be like a good person. It's like a moral lesson this father's teaching his kid, which I think is absolutely great. Um, but then it gets to the second verse of the song, and then it's basically the son goes out, you know, 18, 19 year old kid ruins his credit by buying a Cadillac. And then shows up to church to show it off to his dad, thinking his dad would be like, oh, wow, you really made it, son. And then his dad's just like, you know, I, I don't understand why you did this. Like, I raised you better than this. Didn't you listen to the first verse of the song? You're better than this. And, you know, it's, it, you know, and it, it's like a, a really cute kind of nod. It's like uh, he asked me how I bought it. I told him on credit. Uh, and daddy just smiled. I'll never forget it. You know, it's like the the kid, you know, he's, he grows up and then realizes that, like, maybe his dad was right. Like, this was like a, a young, stupid investment on, on a material thing. Uh, and then it gets to the third verse, and obviously the dad has passed away. Uh, and the... The son is looking back and laughing because as his dad is getting driven to the cemetery, it's in a Cadillac. And he can't help but like kind of smile and find humor in the fact that the one thing his dad hated was the last ride that his dad was going to be in. And I always thought that was just like a really... it For me, the storytelling aspect of it is... Oh, it's, it's just... It's back when they, they gave a shit about what they were yeah. writing. Uh, as cheesy as 90s country is, production-wise and sometimes the, the songwriting, um, they, they still wrote songs. They still took pride in, in a song that told a story and taught a lesson, which is what country music has always been. Um, and even in 1994, when you have a cheesy band named Confederate Railroad uh, singing the song, it, it, that's what this song is for me. It's just a, a classic example of why I fell in love with country music. Well, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, I, I love the storytelling aspect of 90s country. That's why it's one of my favorite, like, genres. Um, but whenever you messaged us and told us that you were going to 
that you chose this song. I went back and listened to it because I don't think I had heard it since 1994. And I was struck a little bit by the similarities in this song to a lot of American Aquarium stuff, especially like your solo album, The Rockingham. Oh, and yeah. like, I was like, this sounds really familiar. Like these themes of fancy cars and I should have listened to my dad. Oh, for sure. And like, that's all that BJ sings yeah. about. <laughs> yeah. It, it, Southern sadness. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where like a lot of people like ask me what I was raised. I was like, it's obvious what I was raised on. I was raised on like the era of country music that tells stories because that's, that's literally all of my songs are just these kind of like stories about either living in the South, learning lessons, like proving that your parents were totally right when whatever they told you, or being drunk and ex-girlfriends. Uh, that was kind of the majority of what my songs are, and, and especially the last two or three of my records have all just been kind of this like a look at 30, looking back, realizing that your parents were 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 totally correct in everything they taught you. Um, I don't think you come to that realization until you hit 30. Yeah, oh, of course. Uh, 30 <laughs> like, was literally the, the moment where... It's a turning point. Pre-30 was writing about life on the road, getting drunk, and girls. And then when I turned 30, I got sober, I got married, and then everything changed for me. Um, so my last three records, the last two band records, and then my solo record are all these kind of, you know ruminations of, of of growing up in the South and then writing about them. Yeah. Um, and I learned that from from people like Randy Travis and people like Confederate mm-hmm. Railroad and Sawyer Brown. Um, this kind of stuff that like I was raised on. Uh, I, w- I was talking to Spencer earlier about just people laugh at me when I tell them about talk about 90s country and they, they're like, it's so cheesy. And I'm like, for what it lacks in artistic depth, it, it really holds a place in my heart just because of like the time and place of it. Mm-hmm. I associate so many of my fondest memories of growing up with this music because it was the soundtrack to road trips. It was the soundtrack to going to the store with my dad on Saturdays. It was the soundtrack of literally being at my grandparents' house and what was playing in the background. And this is what I knew. This is what music was to me up until I was 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. I didn't, because my parents never let me switch the dial. So, like, I didn't know there was anything on the radio other than, like, country music. So, like, when I was 12 or 13, that's when kids started bringing, like, cassette tapes to school and Walkmans and CD players on field trips. And you could listen and be like, what is hip-hop? What is grunge? What is all? I just thought everything was, this is music. This is what music is. And it wasn't until I was, you know, middle school age, you know, the Space Jam soundtrack that really opened up my eyes. When y'all start a (laughs) podcast about that. Let me know. I don't know if we can. I don't know if there's enough material to do an entire podcast. Before Space Jam soundtrack on my seventh grade Washington D.C. field trip, it was all country music. Uh, and the thing I love about Confederate Railroad was they they didn't have a number one hit. They had Trashy Women. They had Queen of Memphis. They had uh, this song Daddy Never Was a Cadillac Kind. That literally for like two years they put out nothing but like top twenty hits. I think they had like six or seven top twenty hits and never could hit number one. I think Trashy Women went to number two. Uh, no, it went to ten. Uh, Queen of Memphis went to number, went to two. number two. Um But there were so many of these kind of bands that like and we see it nowadays too, that will come out for a year or two and be hot and then 
you know, lose traction. Yeah. Uh, you know, but Confederate Railroad put out a record in 2016. They're still touring. They're still doing like the the crawfish cook-off circuit and the state fair circuit, you know. As American Aquarium is like kind of been going upward we've got to see the fall of some of these 90s guys and got to play festivals with them and it's like on our way up they're coming down and we get to meet at like some of these ridiculous state fair like county festivals and stuff and they still got it like the thing about bands like this they had to play their instruments like they started off they were David Allen Coe and Johnny Paycheck's backing band before they got signed to Atlantic they got signed to Atlantic in 92 from like 88 to 92 they were just like a, a backing band and so, like, they're real musicians who, like, it, it, in, a, in an era that we live in now of people that, like, really don't have to have any musical talent other than looking nice and being able to kind of sing. Yeah. Uh, this is the era of, like, bands. And they're still pretty much, other than two member changes in the late 90s, they're still the same band that they started in the 80s. Like, that's unheard of. And Sawyer Brown's the same way. And uh, there's plenty of those, like, early 90s bands that are still, like, Blackhawk <laughs> is still touring to this day. Blackhawk's a good one. Oh, Blackhawk's the... Oh, people forget about Blackhawk. Yeah, I forgot about that. I... Do I know Blackhawk? Yes, you do. Get out of here. Um, Hold on, I got I mean, Let me I, Google I feel it. I like Confederate Railroad now, the big change is probably geographically limiting their fan base somewhat because of such an unfortunate selection and name at the time they were like that's cool but you gotta think totally from the south at the time if you look at their press photo from the time this song came out one of the dudes was wearing a confederate flag bandana yeah the keyboardist right yeah Yeah. like it was like this is pre-politically correct this is like I'm from the south this is what I associate with it yeah call ourselves confederate railroad what could go wrong in the 2000s (laughs) Uh, you know the Independent Weekly would never write about Confederate Railroad unless they were ripping it apart. You know, you would never talk about the musical merit. You, you, like today, people wouldn't be able to get past the name. Yeah, yeah. You know, if they had called themselves anything else, we'd be talking about them today just as much as we were talking about like Sawyer Brown. For me, yeah, because Sawyer Brown is the best '90s country band that only exists in the '90s for me. Yeah. Um, a lot of people would argue that Alabama, but Alabama stretched from like the late seventies all oh, through yeah. the eighties. Yeah. We're talking about nineties country. Don't get me wrong. Like, sorry, Brown Taylor was started in the late eighties, but those hits didn't come to like ninety one up into like ninety six. Yeah. Like, sorry, Brown for me is the best. But my number two is Confederate Railroad. I don't think there was a better band. Band, not talking duo. Band <laughs> uh, in the nineties. I think they were they were kind of they were kind of it for me. Just because they still wrote songs that told stories. Yeah. Well, and going back to that, what uh, you guys were talking about earlier in terms of this kind of songwriting seemed to hit, or realizations hit, and then the songwriting happens like in your 30s, of, like the lessons from your childhood or whatever. Then I was like, well, and then I compare the song a little bit, and like some of the stuff you do to like a uh, song like Outfit by Jason Isbell. And I'm like, well, he wrote that shit when he was like 24. <laughs> Or it came out when he was like 24, so he probably wrote it even earlier. That's why Jason Isbell has four Grammys. It's like, it's like he just breaks that mold. It's like, cool, he was barely old enough to drink and is like realizing those kind of things, writing those kind of songs. Yeah, he, the, man, it's. I've known Jason for over a decade now, and he's always been like the smartest guy in the room, the funniest guy in the room, the guy that like is has the, the mental capacity of like a 60-year-old who's seen it all at 20-something. Um, 
we don't we're not going to get many Jason Isbells in our lifetime. Right. Like there like he's there's a reason he's Jason Isbell now. Yeah. Like a lot of us knew Jason Isbell as like oh he's just a really great songwriter and now he's like a like the the international folk icon uh, of Jason Isbell but like he was he was coming to these realizations that a lot of these songs were bait like you know a lot of what we consider like 90s country I know a lot of people are like when I play him Jason Isbell like he talks about his dad a lot I'm like it's kind of like what storytelling is is like realizing that like these morals, these lessons can be told through stories. That's part of the Southern tradition is the art of storytelling, the yeah. art of telling these kind of fables and these narratives that kind of lead to a bigger picture thing, like coming to a bigger realization, coming to learn these life lessons. And that's what country music encapsulated for much since Hank Williams, you know. Since Hank Williams, like these really great Southern stories have been told through songs. Um, we got away from it toward the late 90s uh, and now it's just become almost country music mad lib you know do you think do you think that like the kind of um, not having depth musically of the 90s country music has led to this kind of crappy modern day country well it, it, it was it was once it started going pop and when yeah. you start going into the area of pop music pop music isn't about substance it's right. about like a beat or being What's catchy or radio? being a hook uh, and country music took a, a huge change I always equate it to the 80s mid 80s uh, Garth Brooks mm-hmm. that era of country music killed what we consider great country music don't get me wrong I still love Friends in Low Places I still love Chattahoochee I still love all that stuff but the mid 80s killed country music and, it, and I, the only thing I can equate it to is music videos when you could start seeing the people singing your songs that's when it started becoming very much important what you look like, right. not just what you were singing. If if people based their country music stars in the 70s on what they look like, we wouldn't have Waylon Jennings. We wouldn't have <laughs> Willie Nelson. We wouldn't have Merle Haggard. You know, it was the 80s was when it started being like, okay, you have to have the songs, but you also have to be a good-looking young male. That's why you have the Garth Brooks of the world. It all became about the jawline. So we have the Alan Jackson Chattahoochee video, one of the best country videos. Oh, water skiing barefooted, man. Yeah. Come on now. <laughs> like, it's, it's... It's just artistic brilliance all around. But early 90s, you look back to all the press photos of those guys, there wasn't an ugly guy in the bunch. They were all, by that era's definition <laughs> of sexy, they were sexy. They had the long, flowing mullet curls. They, you know, it's it's they all had the chiseled jawlines, uh, and I always joke with my mom. She's like, "Why aren't Why aren't you on CMT?" I was like, "I don't have the jawline for country music." <laughs> you know, it's it, you know those guys. It, don't get me wrong. In the '80s, most of those guys could still sing great. Like I'll argue that Garth could still sing and Alan Jackson could still sing, but they were all good looking dudes. Yeah. Uh, and and it's all because of music videos. Music videos are what made country music have to make a shift to stay relevant. Nobody wanted to hear a 50 year old redneck singing songs about life lessons anymore they wanted to hear you know a young guy sing about you know a watermelon crawl you know <laughs> I see some Clay Walker in there dude I, Clay Walker man he's still just a dreamboat that dude is still got the looks man we played a festival with him like two years ago like the Tuscaloosa crawfish boil and he got up there and, and sure enough it was I stood side stage was like you know what I He's got great teeth. Oh, he's got a, got a charming <laughs> smile. But, like, it was one of those things. I got up there, and I was taken right back to the sixth grade 
dance at the Bethany Civic Center in, in Reedsville. You know, it's it's you know, what what, what did he sing? Uh, was it Keeper of the Stars? No, that was Tracy. Bird. That was Tracy. Bird. Yeah, this was I'm, I'm the other at. star one that I always get. It's um, the other star song. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hypnotize the Moon. Hypnotize that, the Moon. That's that what it was. Star song. <laughs> Another uh, astrological, yeah. astronomical. I guess we mix up everyone. Yeah, it, it's it's it, that era of country music was. Don't get me wrong. I I, I will always argue that the, the, the early '90s, especially, still had stuff that you just had to look for it. Uh, toward the late '90s is where it got away from it, um, mm-hmm. and then we got to the 2000s, which literally turned into. Well, I think in the 2000s is when you started to have so many crossover musicians. So you like people like Leanne Rhymes that started in country, but then became pop, pop star. icons. And yeah. then Faith Hill did yeah. the same thing. You know, it was her. Uh, all of those women led to the Taylor Swifts. Yes. They led to like this because the goal was trying to make it on both charts. Mm-hmm. That's how the country machine realized that they could sell records to keep up with the pop stars of the right. day. Were like, you know, Winona had the, the crossover record. Mm-hmm. Uh, Faith Hill had the crossover record. Uh, Leanne Rhymes is a great example of trying to to go into this pop area like why stick with country when you can you know take away the pedal steel and the fiddle and just add like a an 808 backbeat and then you have like a pop like a crossover hit right that's what every record label wanted to have um well the weirdest version of that was or I guess not the weirdest but the most extensive version of that was the Shania Twain's Up when they put out three different versions so it was like the country version the pop version and like an international version or something. Oh, the Canada version yeah I guess yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of international that barely counts but like three different versions of the same album same songs yeah try to get to the different markets and it it, 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 it was all because in the 90s country record sales were down and the only way to compete with the pop record sales of the day. You're talking about like of the last 50 years since the 70s, you're talking about the, the 90s were the biggest era of rock music ever. You know, you had grunge and then you got into this weird area of the Third Eye Blondes, the Matchbox 20s that were still selling fucking records. Yeah. And then at the end of the 90s, you had probably the last hurrah of rock radio with the creeds of the world that were selling millions of copies of records. And then you had country music how are you going to compete with something that sells 20 million records in a year? And the record companies were trying to figure out how do we keep our countryside up? And the only answer was integrate the two. You know, that's why you started having like, you you started pulling away the fiddles and the mandolins and the pedal steel guitars and adding the big rock guitars. And then when you had tours, you had Garth Brooks attached to a fucking <laughs> wire flying out over the crowd. Like they, they stole that straight from arena rock shows. Yeah. You know, and they tried to incorporate it into country music and yeah, it, it crossed over, but like at what cost? At the cost of true country music. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and I always argue with people that like Garth Brooks stood at the top of the mountain and rolled a very tiny snowball off the edge and it led to what we have today, which is the colossal clusterfuck of the Florida Georgia Lions, the Luke Bryant's, the the kind of you can tell it was made in a factory country music, like just disgusting. 
Um, but it still, but it sells now, though, and that's why country music is still going to cater to this. Yeah, is because that's what makes the money. It's what makes money. It, it still sells. It still sells out Walnut Creek Amphitheater every summer when those tours roll through, and it will. And until it stops selling, until people start being like, we demand better, it's going to be what sells. Yeah. And it's going to be what we're what's forced on our throats. The same ten songs every two months are going to be forced on our throats. So I think uh, this might be an interesting transition point to go from talking about country music and albums that make money to talking about Spencer's song that has never actually been released anywhere to make money that I, that as, we could tell. As far as I know, maybe some kind of like promotional radio play, I don't know, you know, radio release. Um, but my, priceless. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it would make a killing. It would have made a killing when it was released, but now... As someone that has a Dale Earnhardt tattoo, <laughs> I feel extremely ashamed of myself for not knowing this song existed. Pretty obscure. So my pick was uh, Brooks and Dunn's uh, Sunday Money. Uh, which is their tribute to Dale Earnhardt that aired on the 93 NASCAR Awards um, and is li- literally just a song about how awesome of a guy Dale Earnhardt is. Is it only available on YouTube? That's I, I could find on Spotify. Or no, I looked on that. Spotify and I couldn't find we it. we got to eBay this and see if there's like a cassette <laughs> tape or there's, a 45 single. I'm sure there's something out there because there's a couple reps on YouTube that aren't the like actual broadcast for like a slightly better sounding one. They had to but maybe their VHS to... tape was just better than they were from. <laughs> I don't know. They had to ascend this to radio, early 90s radio, because like... If this song was sent to you know, WQDR in, in Winston-Salem, I would have heard this song. Yeah. It seems like a missed opportunity, but I guess it brings me down the time, like, what are we going to do with, like, yet another number one song? You know, just add that to the pile. Yeah, this is, this is pay dirt. This is, I don't understand why this wasn't marketed as something much bigger, because you've got rednecks, you've got country music, and then you write a country song about Dale Earnhardt. <laughs> and this isn't like young Dale Earnhardt. This is like six-time Missy right? Cup champion. Champion, they mentioned yeah. that. <laughs> I was going to see if I could fast forward Which to is that the part. best rhyme in the song. <laughs> the over-enunciation of champion uh, to rhyme with something. So yeah, so that song basically just like strikes on two massive things in the South, the country music and NASCAR and marries us together. But also it was interesting to me when I was looking for more information about the song, like how the hell it came to be and how you could get it, um, that Brooks and Dunn were basically like best friends with Dale Earnhardt. There's a 2014 article on ESPN that talks all about like their friendship and all this stuff and that was super interesting to me and he was on the video he being Dale Earnhardt for uh, for Honky Tonk Talk which he there was a whole story about that and how they were trying to convince him to do this and play guitar and sing 
um, for that video and basically said like if he didn't have fun like, they were just going to have fun if he didn't do you know have a good time and all that they could just cut out everything in the video and make their own but they convinced Dale to go down to Las Vegas and hang out and all this stuff so um, that was a cool thought to me now as like an adult of like two well I guess three like superstars of the 90s in the south just being being dudes that hung out together just being bros (laughs) yeah and apparently after the Daytona wreck they were like preparing for a show and one of the first this is all from the ESPN article uh, one of the first people that were some of the first people that were called were those two separately like in their dressing rooms or their hotel rooms and then they went and play the show to a dude who was apparently front row wearing an Earnhardt shirt, like, bawling his eyes out Aww. the whole time. So, it was an uh, interesting scene there. So with As that. someone who, like, I, I was raised in a Southern Baptist, Southern family, and literally Dale Earnhardt, if Dale Earnhardt had walked in and Jesus Christ had walked into the room... I don't know which one would have got the head of the dinner table. <laughs> like I, 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 like Dale Earnhardt carried that much weight in my household. My father, I've never seen my father cry except for one time in my entire life. My dad did not cry the day his dad died. He stood at the funeral straight face, just son. That's that's life. That's how it goes. You know, you live, you die, and that's that's the order of things. But the day that Dale Earnhardt died, like my dad, like like sorority girl, gross, drunk, crying like in front of the television like on his knees being like get up Dale get up Dale like yeah. it was it was the first time my dad got knocked off that pedestal of being like a superhuman didn't feel emotion to be like holy shit like he's a normal human being yeah. that feels things and has has things that he loves and has people that he cares about that he doesn't even know yeah. and like literally like it was like the, my dad took the next day off of work well, wow. my dad took a vacation day the day the day Dale Earnhardt died to like get his shit in order. And like that that's a huge thing. Yeah, it was like the last of like the really soft spoken, you know, you know, speak softly, carry big stick kind of thing. Yeah, of what I I feel like epitomized Southern NASCAR, Southern culture, and you know the fact that it came head on with country music for this song is pretty crazy yeah there's a, there's so much overlap with country music and NASCAR like this is not the only song or uh, music video that we found that integrated the two of those things right. oh it's it, you gotta Brooks and Dunn at this point in time were huge and I equate your success by how many line dances you have named after <laughs> your song and uh, you know the boot scoot and boogie like, you couldn't go anywhere in the early 90s without that being a thing. I got taught, I don't know about you guys, we had a PE class called line dancing. Yes. Like, <laughs> did you have it yes. too? In Reedsville. Like, you mean like a day of PE? No, like an entire no, so couple it, weeks. No, it was like a, it was a, a couple of days. We had a couple weeks in Reedsville. <laughs> so you'd have a couple weeks for basketball. You'd have a couple weeks for volleyball. You'd have a couple weeks for soccer. And we had a couple weeks of line dancing, and I'll never forget... I don't know about if you remember this clearly. We had a song that got played every year, and it was "Fishing in the Dark," and that was what we learned how to line dance to. And every year, the older you got, you got to learn a more complex line dance. I'll never forget this. Coach Page was my PE teacher, and every year it was the same song. And one year we had to learn the boot scootin' boogie to "Fishing in the Dark." 
Why would you just play Pooskin Boogie? Who knows, man? I, maybe it was licensing the, fees. Licensing fees for the public yeah. education yeah. in Rockingham <laughs> County. <laughs> did did y'all have like a dance hall in Reedsville? Where in Greensboro we did. In Greensboro. In Greensboro we did. Yeah. Um, the city. But you know, going into town <laughs> to do your line dancing. Uh, <laughs> you got to go to the city for the line dancing, boys. But uh, yeah, we. And it was like a mandatory PE class. Like you got graded on how well you could line dance. That's how redneck yeah. my middle school was. Yeah, I would fail. Yeah. So. There was a lot, of, and you couldn't, like, you'd have the kids that, like, you know, sit out for sports, but, oh, I, I can't do this, I'm hurt. That everybody did line dancing. So if you had to pick a celebrity that you were going to write a song paying tribute to, I don't know, man, Dale. <laughs> it's already been done. Are you saying you can one-up? You can what up, Brooks and Dunn? I think oh. I, can, I, I can write a. I, I think I can write a better song than that. All right, this this one little clip is being edited, sitting directly to Brooks and Dunn's people. Do it. I, and I, I started a song one one time. It was called "The Only Time My Daddy Cried Was the Day Del Arnard Died," and it was it, it's it, you know that's like the countryest sounding line. Oh yeah, that's like the most North Carolina. It's the most rural North Carolina specific. And the only reason I don't finish that song is because it would be so over the top Rockingham County it would be like the it, it could be a country anthem you need to do it like Brooks and Dunn and just release it at the NASCAR Hall of Fame or whatever oh, oh yeah. that's that's huge the, the video and you can do it shoot in Kannapolis well the 20th anniversary is coming up of his death you know I might have it done we didn't make it sound like a cash grab there we did yeah <laughs> <laughs> just say it <laughs> Not a businessman. I'm a business man. <laughs> yeah, and you just went to Kannapolis recently and yeah, took I, a picture with his big statue. I go to the statue once a year, <laughs> and uh, I took the band with me this time. We all so paid our respects. Funny. Now, did you stop in Kannapolis and go to an Intimidators baseball game? I did not. I did realize that they changed the name a couple years ago, and I think that's insane. Yeah. Do you, know, do you know what they were before? I do not. They were the Piedmont Bowl Weevils. Oh, wow. So I think the Kannapolis Intimidators is a bit of an upgrade. I just love the fact that, like... It's an upgrade for everybody. Look at that. Yeah, I was about to say, I wanted to pull up the logo and make sure it hadn't changed. It's maybe the worst logo. Oh, you get, you get out of here. <laughs> I mean, it's got the paint scheme, but it's like this weird K with an I that also is grabbing a baseball, but you don't really see where that hand is coming from. Just the middle of the, I mean, it's that, intimidating. That is intimidating. If I was playing baseball against that, I'd be like, oh man, I am intimidated. <laughs> yeah, um, but if they could get the license, like, you know, alternate logo of Dale Earnhardt, then that would be even better. They, so they do they do have a three Earnhardt uh, thing in the outfield. Um, and I, I, I want to say that Earnhardt Inc. might have some sort of involvement with Probably that. Probably do. I think they do. You're not that far away from Morrisville, yeah. USA, a.k.a. Race City, USA. <laughs> Come out! Did you did you ever get to see Dale race? Oh, of course. Yeah, I grew up going to races. Yeah, my favorite part about going to races was uh, my dad would uh, my dad worked for AC Delco, and so we would go all all the races. And then as my dad uh, 
climbed the, the corporate ladder, we got to sit in the box for the right, race. So you went up, which is the we opposite. We, we started the grandstand where you would leave that, that NASCAR tan, which is basically the rubber from right. the track that would just be like, you'd be a little bit darker. Yeah. And it was just because you were sitting there inhaling fumes and rubber was being burnt onto your body. Um, and, and then you start moving up past the BYOB section. And then once you get in those boxes, it's all you can drink. It's buffet. I, I would I, like I would like to pause and emphasize that when I went to races, the BYOB, the B stood for not only beer but also Bojangles, because we would strap we would strap a box to the top of our cooler. I remember That's the that, way to do it. I remember yeah. a race in Charlotte got stopped one time because somebody threw chicken onto the track. <laughs> Was this in protest or something? No, it was just like a drunk redneck was like, whoa, wow. That's but like, you got to think, like, a bone out on, the, on yeah. the track, like yeah. that, that's, that that's a dangerous thing. Yeah. And they, I remember they stopped a race and uh, cleared the track and, and warned everybody. It's like, please do not throw chicken onto the track. And I'm like, North Carolina, I love it. But like, we used to go to every race at Rockingham and Charlotte, Watkins Glen, Bristol. Uh, I've been to Talladega. Uh, we went to all the the, the southern races. My yeah. dad's a huge. I'm not as big of a NASCAR fan as much as I am a fan of spending every Sunday growing up with my dad bonding over something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it was it was college football on Saturdays, and literally if there was a football game or a race, we watched the race first and then watched all the night games for yeah. football. The racing came. That was as soon as we got out of church. It was go home, turn the race on, um, and like I said, I don't follow it anymore. Um, I keep up with who won the races just like right. conversation pieces. Yeah. But for the most, like I associate country music with my dad and I associate Sunday racing with my dad. So it's kind of funny that you pick a song that really encapsulates both things from my childhood. Right. <laughs> Want to talk about my song? Yes. All right. Let's do this. So uh, my song that I chose for this time is Reba McIntyre's The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia. Um, I I love Reba. She's my favorite. Um, Don't you mean Vicky Lawrence's 1972? Hey, I'm getting there. Okay, <laughs> don't spoil it for me. I have I have the whole Wikipedia article uh, right here. Yeah, that I can I'm share a with you guys. Fan, so. also, yes, that is where this is going. Oh, thank God. <laughs> also, I don't know how accurate we need to be in the future on this. That, like a lot of these songs were even written by like the person, right? By so and so, but they didn't write it. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, I'm, t- I'm talking about. Yeah, I think so far, like the two that we've done today, and Brooks have done and. Um, no, I don't think Confederate Railroads was, was, was written by them. Who who wrote it? Uh, two Nashville songwriters. Oh, okay. a guy from one of the guys. I assumed within that band. But what's it. awesome is the guy that wrote uh, the two guys that wrote uh, "Daddy Never Was a Cadillac Kind" also wrote "Queen of Memphis." Mm. So literally, yeah. you, you you start seeing these trends of country music stars finding songwriters that they like mm-hmm. and right. sticking with them. Sticking with them. Dave Gibson and Bernie Nelson there we go. were the songwriters. Dave Gibson's the guy that wrote both of them. Uh, yeah. From Abilene, Texas. Abilene, Texas. Well, okay, back to my song. Back to your song. <laughs> so sorry. Reba McIntyre's version. Reba McIntyre's um, version of The Nice Lights Went Out in Georgia. So the song was written by Bobby Russell yeah. uh, back in the early 70s. And he actually, I thought that this was hilarious, he offered the song to share. Um, but Sonny Bono refused it because he was concerned that it would offend Southern fans. Um just talking about, I guess, Southern sheriffs being awful people. He was worried that it was going to offend them. So Vicki Lawrence, who was married to Bobby Russell, took the song and recorded it and released it because um, she wanted to. 
go go Vicky. Um, and it hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 when she was on the Carol Burnett show. And of course, as you have already mentioned, one of Vicky's characters on the Carol Burnett show was Thelma Mama Harper, which resulted in a spinoff of Mama's Family, um, which is a show that I loved. But to my detriment of watching it so often, my mother began calling me Iola because I actually kind of looked like her and I was about as obnoxious as Iola. Um, So in spite of that, I still love Mama's Family. Um, Another thing that I thought was fun about this song is that Tanya Tucker covered it in 1981. Did you know this? I did not know this. Well, she changed the lyrics a little bit because she wanted it to be, to align with a movie of the same name that has a different plot. Um, And in that movie, uh, it starred Dennis Quaid and Mark Hamill. And the whole story was that, like, this uh, this musician guy tried to make it big in Nashville. His sister was the, his producer or manager or whatever, but he actually could never reproduce his first hit, turned into a drunk, got arrested, um, and to make money, he became a bartender um, and fell in love with this girl who was dating or married to the town sheriff. So that's how they kind of, like, turned the, she turned the lyrics around to fit... The plot. Uh, the, the plot. Have yeah. you so, seen this movie, or is this like the Wikipedia summary? So I watched like the music video and read the lyrics, and I tried to find it on Netflix, but I couldn't find it, and I wasn't going to pay money for it for this thing. Yeah. But I, I do like the fact that it has Dennis Quaid so and Mark Hamill in it. Pay money for the joy of seeing those two together. That, I mean, and, I mean, in set in, what, 81, they both would have been real handsome. So I might go back and do that one this day. This is a dream boat, right? Yeah. 81, that's prime. <laughs> exactly. Prime Quaid. <laughs> prime Quaid. Uh, so so where, yeah. did, where did Tanya Tucker's chart? Oh, shit, I don't know. Uh, I, I, don't, know. I don't know that it did. Um, because it was really just for the song. The only reason I knew that it was Vicki Lawrence was because the first time I heard Reba sing it, my mom told me that that wasn't Reba's song. <laughs> How dare Reba. How dare Reba. I, I'm sorry. I think that um, Reba did a better job. Re- oh, Reba's version. Vicky. It's Reba. So it's Reba. I like the arrangement of the Vicki Lawrence version better. But I like the vocals on Reba's version. Yeah. I know that's maybe a controversial take on the arrangement of Reba's, but I feel like the Vicky Lawrence one's kind of like ominous in all these kind Vicky of Lawrence weird is ways. creepy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is what I love. It's very Southern Gothic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Reba Which, was, I mean, it's a murder ballad. That's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But Reba, was, Reba knew it was going to be a hit. That thing was, that was a banger. Yeah. And it's funny because... When we were talking about doing this podcast, you texted me and told me that, like, when I told you my song, oh, you're doing an obscure one. And I was like, my, my, you know, the night the lights went out in Georgia is pretty obscure, too. And literally, as I was texting you, it came on the country <laughs> radio station. And I was like, well, shit, never mind. So, like, speaking of it being obscure, I, I mean, I think that it is the second greatest Reba song. Fancy, obviously, being number one. Another remake. Yes, but Crazy. the interesting thing about it's the night—she makes things better. Imagine that, yeah, Reba. 
Oh, she's so great. But Except for sitcom television. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. I don't know. I think I might disagree with My you on that. I show. love that show. <laughs> she loves it. But Sorry. so the, the night the lights went out on Georgia actually broke a streak for Reba because she had had like so many number one hits and um, she, that one only reached number 12. Or so she had so many top 10 hits and that one reached number 12, breaking her 24 song streak. <laughs> And I'm like, <laughs> rough life for you. <laughs> rough fucking life. Bless that's her crazy. Heart. It didn't chart higher. I know. I mean, like, as soon as you said that song, I was like, that's a banger. Yeah. Do we want to listen to a little bit of it? I'm your best friend, and you know that's right. But your young bride ain't home tonight. Since you've been gone, she's been seeing that Amos boy Seth. Now he got mad and he saw red. And he said, boy, don't you lose your head, cause to tell you the truth. That's pretty shitty that his friend slept with his his wife. Oh, and just threw it out. <laughs> oh, P.S. P.S. I banged her too. <laughs> Everybody's banged her. Well, and in in the so if you read the lyrics or you listen to the lyrics, some of it doesn't really make sense. And even Vicki Lawrence was like, I don't know what the hell my husband was talking about whenever he wrote this. It's a wild fear dream. It is. <laughs> but if you watch the music video, if you watch Reba's music video, she kind of brings it all back together. Um, and so it's a very like Titanic situation where at the beginning of the video, Reba's like in 60 year old makeup. And she's telling this story about how she actually killed all these people. Um, she's admitting it like on her deathbed type of situation. And the thing that she brings in to the music video that's missing from the lyrics is that the sheriff was also fucking her sister-in-law. So that's why the sheriff uh, kind of, and the judge kind of slid it under, is because they didn't want it to come out that they had also been hanging around with that girl. So, okay, this is Vicki Lawrence's version. He was on his way home from Candletop been two weeks gone and he thought he'd stop at Webb's and have him a drink before he went home to her. Andy Wolo said hello and he said hi, what's doing? Whoa, said sit down, I got some bad news, it's gonna hurt. Yeah. That Wurlitzer intro is, yeah. is, 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 is the best part about that song. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> when I was talking about that arrangement being better, it was the Wrecking Crew played that song, so it's like they're not going to put in like a just like you know phone in oh, arrangement right. performance they're just, mm-hmm. I mean they probably literally like did that and played in like 30 minutes but You're talking about one of the greatest house recording yeah. bands of all time recording a song yeah, I'm sure she I'm had, sure Reba had some aces yeah there. I'm sure she has some great Nashville session players on that but like the Wrecking Crew was so good for what they did that it's a little bit different a little bit different comparison yeah well there's a reason why I'm watching number one and there's a reason why I'm watching number 12 ooh, ooh. Shots Reba. Clack, clack, clack. Damn. Um, yeah. Are you talking about your um, Reba sitcom love? Is that getting... No, we don't have to bring that up any further. I haven't watched it in a long time. Is it even still on in syndicate? It has, yeah, it has oh, to be. Of course it is. Yeah, so what, what needs to happen is it needs to have a back-to-back Mama's Family and then Reba. Just both are, both are, over and over are, and over. Or cult classics. I, I guess... 
I know a lot of people that really like the Reba show. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't even think that was a cold classic. I just thought that was like, especially for like his, I guess, I guess it was just like kind of a on joke. The CW though? Yeah. Like, it was like, I don't consider anything on the CW real. <laughs> I consider wow. everything on the CW wow. as being something like a cult classic. Like, uh, I don't know. The CW, like when we were in high school, like that was Seventh was, Heaven was on. Yeah. That I mean, that cult was classic. <laughs> no, that Dawson was legit. Creed, cult classic. Dawson Creed. Classic. Let's redefine this cult classic <laughs> word you're using here. I, I just yeah. consider NBC, CBS, Fox oh, to be only like, the mainstream. The, is good the, enough that, to me. That, yeah, that's what I consider the mainstream. I consider the CW to be like the little brother station. See, I, 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 I don't know. Whatever the height of like. The CW, I would put it in the same boat as them, as the ABC. Before CBS. it was even CW, it was WB. Right. Back then. Back back in the day. The little weird frog <laughs> talking about things that are politically incorrect. <laughs> well, and speaking of that. Oh wait, can we? I would just like to pause, and I'm looking at the Wikipedia now. Reba McIntyre won a Golden Globe Award because of her work on Reba. Thank God. I know. Thank God that, that cult classic was finally recognized <laughs> in the mainstream. I just appreciate that it had like a national audience because it definitely seems like something to me that like, oh yeah, this is like appealing to this region of the country. My mom and my wife are the only two people I think that I met Rachel Hales. Three people pushed that thing to the Golden Globes. Round of applause. Yes. Has she won a Grammy? Reba has won three Grammys. Yes. yes. So the world is a good place. The wins are very interesting. Uh, 1987, she won her first one, her first nomination, first one. Whoever's in New England do not know that song. I don't know that song either. Um... 1994, she, that was her best female country vocal performance. In 94, she won for best country collaboration with vocals for Does He Love You featuring Linda Davis. Yes. I do remember that. I just and looked then, this up because that beat my song that I did or that I'm going to do for my other episode, Dolly Parton's Romeo. That one was also starring Billy Ray Cyrus. Starring Billy Ray Oh, he's also featured. He's, he sings like a. I don't know, an interlude in yeah. that song Oh, as well. really? Oh, yes. That flowing Kentucky waterfall. Oh, man. God, his mullet was so long in that video, too. You could just jump off and swim in it. Woo! Then uh, right. last, or I guess this year, 2018, she won for Best Roots Gospel Album, Sing It Now, Songs of Faith and Hope. Oh. I have not heard any of that. Bummer. <laughs> They're just like, those are not. I think that's like, the, I think it's what you have to do if you're a 90s country. You have to get to a certain point where, where you, you resell the gospel album. You, you find Jesus. Yeah. Well, I just, well, no, she, she's been singing about Jesus from the beginning. Yeah. She's, but I don't know if she's leaned all the way into it. Like, like a full gospel record. Yeah. Because um, that's a hard lean. When, it, it's okay when you put like one song on a record. But like when you put out a gospel I think that record. She, I think that she has a gospel record before this one that she won a. Prize for. What are those called? The Devil Awards? The Devil Awards. That's what they are. Yeah, the Devil Awards. Look at you, Amy Grant super fan. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm a big third day fan, dude. <laughs> she does have a Christmas album. Um, that was sold exclusively at well, Cracker Barrel. Yeah, yeah, it was. I think that's another like uh, feather in your cap as a country artist. Like you really to complete being a real yeah. legend, you have to have a gospel record. Uh, you also have to have something exclusively for Cracker Barrel or or a Walmart exclusive. Walmart exclusive is okay, but Cracker Barrel is wholesome. <laughs> that's true. Walmart will still put a parental advisory on something. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay, I think that we have reached a nice 
endpoint. Nice. Yeah. Those, what do you three, think? those are three uh, straight slappers. Yeah, I, I agree. Slappers. slappers and bangers, man. That's Thanks. what we're going to talk usually about. usually what country hits are called slappers and bangers. <laughs> we call it twangers. There you go. Not a banger. This is a twanger. Yeah. Three straight twangers from the 90s. I'm pretty stoked on it. We have so many, so many more to come. Thanks for being our first official guest, BJ. Thanks for having me on something that I hold so near and dear to my heart. Thank you. Do you have anything uh, you want to you want to plug here? Two big relationships. Road trips are always coming up uh, in January. Which I would like to say is where Spencer and I first really bonded was hanging out in the sound booth area with Dan Schramm. It's Courtney Marie Andrews. Uh, Brent Cobb, uh, Paul Cawthon, and Susto nice. are playing Richard Rawley this year. It's just four really great bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought I'd get away with not coming to an American Aquarium show, but I might have to come to that one. You were, were, you, were you there last year? Yeah, that's that's the one that I was talking about. Yeah. That. Oh, nice. Last year was great. Yeah, yeah last yeah. night. Or, and that was the first time that I'd heard the new album oh, live, so nice. that was fun, too. Nice. Yeah, it's just become like a... I think Chapel Hill gets a lot of the credit nationally for being the music town. And it's just my one time a year where I get to bring my favorite bands into town uh, and kind of let them see that Raleigh's just as cool of a town as Chapel Hill is. Just as cool or cooler? I think cooler. I think so, too. But well, Durham's the best of all of them, let's I mean, be honest. The Cascarrow has the history. Uh, I'm Car- tra- in Carver, though, so yeah. be t- Try to argue with anybody from Chapel Hill that that's not theirs. <laughs> and they'll, t- they'll tell you differently. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just trying to put Raleigh, or keep Raleigh. On the map. Special, yeah. and show yeah. people why I love the place I love. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's about it. If you want to know any more, AmericanAquarium.com. Uh, follow me on Instagram, American Aquarium, Twitter, US Aquarium. Pretty much it. Cool. We will probably have you back for another episode whenever you're yeah. in town again. Yeah. Maybe we'll do a maybe we'll do a live at the road trip to Raleigh oh. episode. Or maybe one year I can just bring in just 90, 90 stars. Um, just, just do a road trip to Raleigh, nineties edition. Yes. And bring in I guarantee I can get compared <laughs> From what I've paid for some of these artists, I guarantee I can get compared you, to You've got a year and a half, so you can do it for twenty twenty. Dude. It would be yeah. so great. That would be pretty great. <laughs> or, I mean, if you want to wait another year for the 20th anniversary of Earnhardt's death slash your cash grab on that, and you want to call up Brooks and Don for that, you know, you might need to get a bigger bigger venue for it. But I don't I, I don't know if I can do it, man, just because of the cash grab. There's too much respect there for the number three. <laughs> you know, he's not dead. He's just a lap ahead. I don't want to piss anybody off. <laughs> well, thank you, BJ. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll talk to you next time. He was working through college On my grandpa's farm